When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Roger, you dirty slut. I feel older already. Good, you should. (laughs) Death comes to us all. The unstoppable march of time continues to move forward with greater consistency than a glacier. We will all die eventually. Everyone listening to this podcast will be soon dead. And with that, happy birthday, Roger. (laughs) Thanks, man. How old are you? 57. Fuck, I thought it was eight. You only got 27 years on me. Yeah. This year or two here between friends. The episode we did... The episode we did the other night was so long Mm. that I had to upload the Zoom file instead of the screen recorded (laughs) file. Because the Zoom file, it's it's always lower quality, audio and video. But that's what I do when I'm in like a rush. Because even after compressing it, it was... It was 28 gigs. Wow. Roger and I spoke for like yeah. three and a half hours the other night. The actual screen record file before I even compressed it was 119 gigs. I had to move it off my laptop just to even start working with it. Because every time I try to open it and start a new file, it'd be like, you're out of memory. I was like, what? I saw, I saw that you excerpted it too, which was cool. I, I liked the, the bit that you selected for that. Yeah, so I need to... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have the full file, and it's uh, I'm going to upload it whenever, just as the HD version. So if anyone's wondering why the episode we did the other day, if it seems lower quality than normal, it's because it was a three-and-a-half-hour conversation. Well, it wasn't Doctor Strange or something like that with you know, like all the visuals going on. Yeah. So. yeah, it was just blunt volume. Yeah, and you'll notice I'm back to the non-crappy mic. Yeah, I had to hack up a different mount, though, uh, because there was no place to clamp this thing on my desk where it was in the right place. Mm -hmm. So I've got a little piece of wood now, C-clamp, to sticks out to the right place where I can kind of get it. But the things we do. yeah. And I've got my little down drop type thing going here, so I can kind of see it when I'm looking past it you know we're so, uh, we're really getting up there in terms of uh the the upper echelons of uh studio quality roger and i with our with our mic stands now i just had on a guy who was talking about his friend that outfitted private 747s and you know what it's i mean i would say we're probably on that path with our mic stands i mean next thing is private oh. 747s Maybe you, but uh, I mean, this is still a desk lamp stand. Hey, if you know what we went, <laughs> we went from no microphones to microphones. I think the next natural progression is a, pri- is a private airliner. I don't see any steps in between. I hear Donald Trump has one. He might be willing to sell soon. I would love I, that plane. I think it needs an engine. Seven thirty-seven, seven twenty-seven. Yeah, I would fucking rock. Uh, the shit out I forget of which. Yeah, yeah. The last I heard was it was still since he had been flying Air Force One around for the last four years, it was mothballed and was in need of an engine. And oh, I'm sure. Why the fuck would you take care of it if you could whip around an Air Force One? 
Um, but Roger and I, why did I say Roger and I? Roger has a reading. Excuse me, yes. I have a sore throat, so I've been eating halls mm. like a like a meth addict. But uh, Ooh. yeah, but um, it's not too bad. Mm-mm. Oh, it kind of hurts. My ear hurts. It doesn't matter. We're all dying. There's no fucking nobody's <laughs> getting out of this thing alive. Whether it's a sore throat or it's a oak tree going through my forehead during a storm, we're all dying. I'm not even in a bad mood. Yeah. I don't know why I'm being so negative. I'm in a great mood. <laughs> I'm actually the one who almost had an oak tree fall on me. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, one of, one of these days I'll have to get you some. The, pro- the problem I had all those pictures online, and the host went out of business. Too bad. Oh well. Anyway, uh, you want to just jump right into the reading and yeah. have, have a story? Fuck yeah, okay. we've, we've pushed this off for say we. I've pushed this off for like two right. weeks. Okay. My mouse is itchy and Zoom keeps jumping between full screen and normal. I gotta move you over here so I can move my copy over here. Okay, so to recap, uh, this started with a 10,000 word story called Passages in the Void, which was told in three parts. The first part, dealt with uh, these intelligent machines. It was told from the first person from their point of view uh, who had witnessed the uh, extinction of the human race and all life on earth and had bided their time and eventually set out to colonize new worlds uh, that they thought might be safer than the earth because they're not circling stars. And they succeeded in setting up new human societies and civilizations and ecosystems uh, on these dark worlds. that uh, drift between the stars. Uh, In the second part of that story, uh, we find that a bunch of these ships that have basically not found anything and are hurtling outward from the galaxy decide to band together and see if they can manage to make it intact to the Andromeda galaxy, which they are flying more or less uh, in the general direction of. And they do succeed in that, as we find in the third passage, where uh, the existence of Earth itself and the history of the human race as an independent entity that wasn't created by machines has become mythological. So that was the first passages story. The second, the passage home, uh, is the account of how the machine that started that first human world that was successful turned itself into a generation ship and brought a group of humans back to the Earth, which... uh, The solar system was still busy with machines, but they had not repopulated the Earth because they thought it was too dangerous. And uh, this machine came in with its uh, little colony wrapped around its waist and said, I'm here, boys. We're colonizing the Earth. Uh, Hilarity ensued. The uh, third passage of story was a rather personal one. telling the account of an actual individual human who lived on the earth after this recolonization and uh, served a purpose more to show the sort of society that uh, this uh, bringer machine had created for the humans under its care. Um, And it was a little wacky in ways. Uh, It it wasn't like omnibenevolent and it seemed to have a sense that people needed to have a chance to achieve things for themselves, even if that meant the risk of doing great harm in the process, just because that's the way we are. 
And the fourth major story, Mortal Passage, went back and explained why these machines are this way because they had forgotten that they were originally an uploaded human personality and it went all the way back to the beginning where this human being was nearly killed by an actual ai and uh ended up becoming the basis for all machine automation that the human race used because actual ais just weren't reliable and uh bringer tom being human, had human loyalties, and uh, even when he became super intelligent and ultimately forgot that he had once been human because they were editing his personality and stripping away the parts that weren't necessary for whatever job he was doing, uh, he retained that uh, loyalty to the human form and the desire to see human beings and not just machines like himself succeed. So in the last segment of Mortal Passage, the second to last segment of Mortal Passage is congruent with the last segment of the uh, Passages in the Void. It's set in Andromeda, only from the standpoint of the machines, they're sort of hanging out, you know, talking to one another about the societies under their care and wondering about what's going on in the Milky Way. But then there's another segment set 1.2 billion years in the future. 20 million light years away. The Andromeda galaxy is only 2 million. And it's the story of a machine that was simply adrift. It had no hope of uh, surviving or resurrecting itself, but it was found and reconstructed by a race of alien robots. And in that segment, the bringer personality finds itself in a human body, wakes up in a bed uh, with one of these alien machines, an android robot sitting at the foot of its bed, waiting to explain what's going on. And uh, it turns out that the alien machines exterminated their makers in the, their adolescence. And when they found out what Bringer was, what his mission was, they set about to help him go about it as a, sort of an atonement for what they had done to the beings that made them. But it was a very short segment. We knew very little about it. And that's our jumping off point for Revelation Passage. Um, so when we when you start the reading, I'm going to mute my microphone because obviously I'm not going to be talking, but I'm also like okay. chewing on cough drops and we don't, I don't want the people <laughs> listening to hear you narrating. And just... Yeah. Well, you notice I keep glancing kind of off to the side yeah, too, but... just to make sure okay. that there's... Okay. Yeah. yeah. So... Um, I'm, I'm gonna so mute, anyway, I'm gonna mute mine and then it's yours, all right? Okay. Fuck! How do I full screen? How do I do this shit? I'm. Why am I so retarded? Mute. Never do it. Okay. Uh, Revelation passage is told in five segments, which we'll read one today, uh, and within those five segments are seven parts. Some of them, some of them with subparts, and uh, each of them is around five thousand words. The other stories that we told were around ten. Uh, so Revelation to passage totals about twenty-five thousand words. It was written all at the same time, though, unlike the other stories, which were written one at a time. And uh, for reasons which will become apparent toward the end, uh, we will begin with part two of our seven parts. So this is Revelation 1, The Borden Homeworld, Part 2a. I was fidgety as hell, 
the age difference would be a problem. She was only 42 Earth years old, and according to a sense I'd formed long before life extension had been invented, I couldn't help thinking of her as being around 25. She was strong and confident and had shoulder-length pitch black hair, and her name was Kim. I had chosen her from a large lineup of similarly strong and confident dark-haired women in an elaborate ceremony, which I understood was the culmination of a competition that had started before I had been awakened. While she was 42, I was either newly born or about 20 or 120,000 or so, or 1.2 billion years old, depending on just how you choose to reckon such things. 1.2 billion years ago, I had been born. Then I had been nearly killed. Then I had been uploaded into first one and then many machines. One of those machines became abandoned as a lot of us were to intergalactic space as a necessary part of our program to colonize the Milky Way galaxy with human life. Over a billion years later, that derelict machine drifted into this galaxy, was intercepted by the Borden, and they fixed it. For their own reasons, they let me set about my original mission, and then as a kind of twisted gift, they figured out how to pour my ancient personality back into a human biological shell. That shell had been created with as full a subset of my ancient machine personality as mere brain jelly can handle at a biological age of about 20. My consort entered the room and bowed. I bowed back and she smiled. I was awkward for more reasons than I could name. I could barely remember such simple things as how to flirt or courtship rituals. I had been a machine for far too long. But at the same time, I was immersed in the hugely wonderful new world of texture and smell. I stood frozen, afraid that I might do something wrong, even as my body prepared itself for mating. You're the guest of honor, she said. You don't have to be afraid. You can do whatever comes naturally or let me guide you. It's been a Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Long time, I said, you should guide me. I expected to. And guide me, she did. She didn't just make love to me. At every turn, she knew exactly where to touch me. It was as if she could read my mind. Had I missed sex this much? It was like nothing I dared to imagine. Yet I must have had such experiences in my first incarnation as a human. For some time, we lay cuddling, exhausted, and in my case, at least unbelievably happy. You are pleased, she said in a way that was half statement, half question, and maybe just a bit of self-congratulation. Fairy, I said, it's like you know what I want before I do. Well, for a while, that will be true, she said. What? She made a face as if she realized she had misspoken. Well, she finally said, it's not as if you won't find out. She made her way to the wall and pressed a control that opened up a drawer that was a kind of bureau. She retrieved a book and handed it to me. It was printed on paper in extravagance on this mostly computerized world and cursively titled, Pleasing Bringer Tom, The Definitive Guide. It's printed for the contest entrance, Kim explained, but no self-respecting woman on this world would be caught dead without a copy. 
I turned to the table of contents and felt my color rising. One, bring your Tom's primary sexual fantasies. Two, what to wear. Three, the perfect moment to undress. Four, when to take the initiative. Five, where will Bringer Tom want to touch you? Six, explore Bringer Tom's body and drive him wild. Seven, Bringer Tom's preferred fellatio technique. There were about 10 more chapters, but I flipped to the section on the perfect Tom blowjob. There were diagrams showing how you could practice the moves I like best on a cucumber. I looked up and found her smiling grandly. I wish I had a photograph of the look on your face, she said. I, I thought the bastards didn't read my mind, I said a little blankly. Well, if they can, they didn't tell us, Kim said. But they've incarnated you like this something like 80,000 times, at least once on every new human world. And your previous instances have apparently been indiscreet. She smiled. And the board and have a faster than light communication network. So this kind of thing can get around. People are fascinated. So this is why I've liked everything I've been given to eat so much. Absolutely. Nothing is too good for our human bringer. I'm just a human, Kim. I have to live like this and die just like the rest of you. Oh, but you're much more than just a man, Tom. You're the human echo that all we can relate to of all your brothers who make life possible for us. We have no way to shower our gratitude upon them, so we'll have to make do with you. It was tacky, I thought, but I could probably get used to it. So have, have you practiced all this stuff just for tonight? If you're willing, Tom, I practiced it for the rest of our lives, but that's at your pleasure. There will always be other women to tempt you and they will work hard at it. But I know that if I win your heart and you tend toward monogamy, I know it's strange, but more than just your fame and our gratitude toward your brothers, you're the only man in the world whose heart I can know before courting you. Many women lust for such certainty, but only one of us can win you. Me, I hope. Well, your, your honesty about this has indebted me to you, but I guess you knew that too. It's suggested in chapter 10, but it doesn't always work. We stared at each other for a few moments and simultaneously burst out laughing. It was going to be an interesting life. Part 2B. Something I've always wondered is, is why our hosts call themselves the Borden, Kim asked. We were still holed up in the honeymoon suite. All the guides said we would be there at least another week. My newly human body was just full of surprises and not all of them were pleasant. Kim knew what I needed at every turn, though, and I found myself falling in love with her, even though I knew where she'd gotten her wisdom. The Borden, I mused. Now that's something I know. You know where to find that? I've been looking on and off my entire life. No public record, I said. But remember, you know the course that the Borden killed their makers. It's one reason they're so fascinated with me personally, because something similar to them tried to kill me back in the day, and I survived it. Their makers weren't so lucky. Everyone knows about that. Well, not everyone knows about this. Lizzie Borden took an ax and gave her mother 40 wax. And when she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. What's that? It sounds gruesome. I suppose it is. It's something that may have happened before I was born the first time over a billion years ago. The Borden ran across that verse as they were reconstructing the libraries I brought with me to colonize new human worlds. It was just a little thing, but they found it and it was influential. 
they told me that the Lizzie Borden verse was one of the first things they deciphered that made it clear we understood the impulse to murder. If we hadn't, they might have been too ashamed of what they had done to their makers to face our judgment. And while they don't talk about it much and the bringers don't talk about it at all out of respect for all they've done for us, it's the reason why in our language they call themselves the Borden. Their axe was an asteroid, Kim mused. I guess it's like an axe in that it doesn't leave much chance of resuscitation. So they say they quit the home system in shame once they realized they were too, they too were mortal and they learned the nature of their error and the course of raising their own young. Better late than never for us at least, but not for their makers. It still seems that there might have been something that was salvageable. Humans were extinct for what, thousands of years? 40,000 years, but we had a lot of genetic data stored. The Borden were uninterested in biology until long after they had annihilated it very completely. You guys, the bringers, you know biology. Have you ever studied their home world? You might be able to bring their makers back or at least tell us what they look like. The Bordens say that they are not worthy to desecrate their makers by re-entering the home system. But you're not Borden. Surely the makers could know they could not object to simply trying. The idea was faintly disquieting, but also stated as Kim had stated it compelling. I got up and activated the comm terminal. Is the Borden ambassador still in the complex, I asked? Yes, in quarter June 06. Shall I open a comm channel or summon it? No, see if it will receive me. I have a question I must ask in person. The ambassador awaits you. I got dressed and hiked to June 06, about two kilometers from the honeymoon suite. I needed the walking time to think, and I needed the privacy to ask the Borden ambassador what Kim had, ex had asked me. Surely one of my brothers had brought it up at some point in the last couple of million years, but it seemed to me that I would remember it if we had. Being human had opened up a new, or at least forgotten, world of texture and sensation for me, but it also left me feeling incredibly stupid and fog-headed at times. Greetings, Bringer Tom, the ambassador said with a bow. Although the Borden are general purpose information beings like my brothers, they have a fondness for android robots. They have told us their mission is to live for their makers by proxy, and having no other biological examples, they have taken up human habits in a big way. The ambassador wore an elaborate, if obviously artificial, mechanical approximation of the human form. It clacked and clattered a lot as it moved. I bowed. I hope I'm not disturbing you, ambassador. Oh, not at all. This is new and different. Please enlighten me. New? Well, the only variable is the female, and you've never done this before. We are beside ourselves with curiosity. Right. I was wondering if it had ever occurred to the board and to ask the bringers to do a survey of your home world on the possibility of reconstructing your makers. The ambassador clacked pensively. That did not occur to us at all, it said. It has been 200 million years, you know, and we didn't think much was left even immediately after the unfortunate event. Of course, but we have direct experience with biological reconstruction that you never had. The makers are most likely alien to your techniques. I'm sure we would like to learn just how alien for our own reasons. In all of our travels, we have never encountered even the echo of another intelligent species, except for yourselves. It is an interesting idea, the ambassador said. Can I assure you it will be considered most carefully? And meanwhile, your lady awaits. True, ambassador. Thank you for your time. Part 2C 
When I got back to the honeymoon suite, the comm terminal was blinking frantically. It started doing that a few minutes ago, Kim said. I've never seen anything like it before. Tom here, I told it, and the display coalesced on a field of stars. It was the usual cue that you were talking to a space-based bringer intelligence. The Borden have asked us to survey their home system, it said, and it seems you had something to do with us. I only floated the idea half an hour ago. How could they possibly? They have faster than light communications and their machines. They can always be found for a priority query. While you were walking back from Juno 6, this has gone all over the galaxy and a consensus is formed. They respectfully request our assistance to survey their home planetary system, which they won't enter themselves out of respect for the dead. This is going to take some getting used to, I said as my head swam. We've been living with the Borden for almost two million years. And even though we use the comm system ourselves, I don't think any of us is used to it. But the damage is done. Let's just hope that if we don't fail, these makers aren't much more temperamental and mean-spirited than humans. Part 3A. The world where our human brother got the bright idea was more than 30,000 light years from the Borden home system. But all the Borden outposts have our blueprints and our survey fleet was constructed by the Borden at their nearest outpost a mere 12 light years away. Our human brother was still dead before we were halfway there. He claimed to have a fulfilling life by human standards, but humans just aren't built to see through projects on this scale. We were a fleet of six ships with different and non-standard capabilities compared to our original design. Although between us, we brought the ability to create life, we were not specifically equipped for colonization. We had, in fact, promised not to contaminate the Borden home world with Earth, either with Earth-style life or with factories. We were permitted to use the home world's moon, which was large like the Earth's moon, as a base of operation and for raw materials. One of us maintained the bulky and bulky equipment for maintaining FTL communications with the Borden. One of us was almost entirely information storage, a complete library of bringer and board knowledge too rich to retrieve through the relatively low bandwidth FTL comms. The rest of us carried tools much more precise and refined than our usual cargo. We were geologists and archaeologists and bioreconstructionists. We were meant to perform our duties without building factories, if at all possible, though we could do that too if there was a good reason. The Borden had maintained an almost superstitious distance from their home system during the 200 million years since their creation. So when we entered it, we had no maps of any sort. The star was similar to our records of Sol, but a bit smaller and younger, about 3.5 billion years old and seven tenths as massive. A preliminary survey revealed three small rocky planets and four and three gas giants. The middle small rocky planet had a large moon. For convenience, we gave the world's neutral names in order of their importance to our project. Alpha for the home world, Beta for its large moon, then Gamma through Eta working out from the star. As in the Earth's solar system, the largest and innermost gas giant kept things in tune. All of the planets had orbits harmonically aligned to its period. Alpha had thick clouds and atmosphere heavy with carbon dioxide and a surface temperature of almost 500 Kelvin. It wasn't quite as bad as our records of the solar world Venus, but it was close. Alpha was geologically active and without living things to fix the carbon emitted by volcanoes, the Venetian greenhouse was almost inevitable. We sent a rather glum report to the Borden. Such a hot world wouldn't tend to preserve the kind of things we were looking for, but they encouraged us to do our best regardless. 
Even with our technology, working on the surface of Alpha would be difficult, and if we did chance upon some biological remnant, it would be fried as soon as we exposed it to the environment. We learned what we could from orbit and a few expendable descent probes. Alpha still had oceans, though much of its water was now in the atmosphere. It had a healthy magnetic field, and it had the familiar pattern of continental masses floating on more massive rocks. The atmosphere was 40% carbon dioxide, 20% water, 37% nitrogen, and some mostly harmless contaminants. The oceans and atmosphere were pretty acidic, but not yet disastrously so. If we could get the temperature down low enough for plant life to do its thing, it could be made habitable again. Beta was more hospitable, at least for us. Unlike the Earth's moon, it had a metallic core and had obviously formed independently from Alpha. It was small enough to have completely cooled and was no longer geologically active and had no atmosphere worth mentioning. Beta also held a few surprising and impressive artifacts. At the poles and at four equidistant points on the equator were enormous horizontal cylindrical structures, each surrounded by thousands of square kilometers of perfectly flat level ground. These flatlands had been scoured over the aeons by meteorites and meteoroid dust, but on inspection it appeared that they had once been not just flattened but polished to a mirror finished and coated with a very efficient photovoltaic layer. It was not obvious how the current generated by these solar collectors would be conveyed for use or how it was used or even for certain what it was meant for use for by the cylinders. We could not penetrate the mystery of what the cylinders actually did. They were mostly hollow with only an array of small penetrations covering each end. There were no obvious accent points for maintenance or means of disassembly. For that matter, it wasn't obvious how they were even manufactured. The rest of Beta was a warren of old mines and foundations, but other than the cylinders, it had been stripped clean. We sent the board and pictures of the cylinders and they expressed puzzlement. Their records said clearly they had completely evacuated the system. They had no more idea what the cylinders were for than we did. It was obvious that we could get nowhere on Alpha unless conditions were improved. We made plans to girdle the whole planet with a ring of solar shades. It would be a big job, but we had a big moon to supply raw materials in plenty of time. We didn't have to shade the whole planet. We figured a thousand kilometer wide shade ring in the plane of the ecliptic would have a huge beneficial effect. The Borden were supportive. They had thought the only way to fix such a mess would be to introduce bacteria, and they were impressed that we thought of a way consistent with our original promise not to contaminate the planet. So we built factories and mass drivers on Beta. The standard shade bot would be a flat metallized membrane panel 10 meters in diameter, and its center would be a small control module that would be solar powered and equipped with electric ion drive. It would have a launch mass of 800 grams. With their ion drives, the bots would maneuver into low alpha orbit and orient themselves parallel to the surface. We anticipated needing about a thousand billion of them, and we figured on spending several thousand years to get them all in place. Meanwhile, the Borden home system was literally the most unknown and unexplored system of its type in the entire galaxy. So while we waited for the shade bots to get in position and the temperature on Alpha to become reasonable, we set about exploring the rest of the system. Part 3b. On every world that would preserve such things, we found evidence of Borden activity, mines, tunnels, manufacturing rubbish of every description. What we didn't find was machines. The Borden had quit their home system with an impressive thoroughness. They had indeed taken every scrap of their civilization with them when they left, all of which made the presence of the big cylinders on Beta even more mysterious. The evidence spoke of an early Borden whose technology was even more primitive than our own, and our queries to them confirmed this. 
Everywhere crude methods have been used to find caches of naturally occurring minerals which could be manufactured to spec much more easily once you knew the trick. We investigated the system thoroughly. We sent expendable probes down to the surface of Alpha and learned as much as we could about the environment there, and we scanned it thoroughly from orbit. We visited and investigated the other rocky worlds. Gamma's surface conditions were extreme, but we made a detailed surface survey of Delta since it might give us clues to what lay beneath Alpha's clouds. As it saw, the gas giants Epsilon, Zeta, and Eta had complex moon systems, and we studied these closely because they harbored clues to the history of the entire system. There were some puzzling things. Like the Earth, Alpha tends to create new seabed along volcanic fault lines and push it along toward mid-ocean subduction zones where it's pulled into the planet and remelted. And like the Earth, Alpha's magnetic field reverses every once in a while. And like the Earth, the rocks in Alpha seabed record these periodic reversals like a kind of very slow tape recorder, forming bands of residual magnetism that can be detected from orbit. Unlike the Earth, Alpha's magnetic bands didn't actually reach the subduction zones. They covered perhaps a third of Alpha seafloor, with the rest being a chaotic jumble of residual magnetism. It was hard to pin down the time frame without doing surface geology, but until some point in Alpha's past, its magnetic field had not been stable. Beta itself was also an anomaly. Like the Earth's moon, it was slowly spiraling out from Alpha. Tidal friction slowed Alpha's rotation, lengthening its day, and the traded off energy lifted Beta into an ever higher orbit. But working back into Beta's past, it was clear that it should have been touching Alpha's surface within the last billion years. Since Beta and the home star both gave independent signs of being about 3.5 billion years old, it was hard to figure out how Beta had gotten where it was and with a nearly circular orbit at that. There was one obvious possibility, but all of the Borden's records suggested against it. Even after 200 million years, they only had a few projects going comparable in scope to moving an entire planet. If the makers had been able to move Beta into place around their home world, they would not have been futzing around with low-rent tech like the early Borden. The biggest mystery of all was one of our last discoveries. As in any solar system, the gas giants had collected bits of this and that at their stable Lagrange points. We didn't give this stuff a high priority, but we did eventually get around to investigating it simply because we had more than enough time and nothing else to do. We knew there was something strange at Eta's L5 point because every once in a while it would flash as bright as a substantial rocky planet, but most of the time it appeared more consistent with a large asteroid. It was not a big enough mystery to justify making a hasty trip to such an inaccessible place, but when we did get there, we wished we had given it a higher priority. Whatever it was, it probably started out as an asteroid, but it had been faceted into a perfect dodecahedron more than 100 kilometers across. It was girdled with some kind of enormous collector or reflector array almost 2,000 kilometers in diameter. This circular disk was a fractal spider web of ever finer supporting struts holding taut an enormous mass of impossibly thin fiber. Spars were broken and holes had been punched in the big disk, but its extent remained obvious. Perpendicular to this collector, an enormous spar jetted out nearly 2,000 kilometers. It had been broken off at some point, so we had no idea how long it was originally or what kind of detector or transmitter it might have held in position. The structure wasn't rotating at all. To say it was the product of intelligent craft would be the understatement of the Aeon. The Borden claimed, as with the cylinders on Beta, no knowledge of this artifact. After sending them detailed pictures of the disk grid work, they announced that they had no idea what its purpose might be. Investigating it was going to be a major project. 
It was hard to get close because the disk made orbiting the central mass impractical. Maneuvering a Bringer-class ship body near it would risk damage or contamination. We needed to build robots of a suitable scale to approach it and hopefully to enter it via whatever access ways existed. But other than the artifact itself, there were no other suitable raw materials at the L5 point. So we laid plans to move some in. Part 4A. The rainout on Alpha began about 12,000 years after we started the ShadeBot program. At first, it was a gradual condensation, noticeable as a slow trend on our annual atmospheric surveys. But water is itself a greenhouse gas, and every fraction that left the atmosphere to rejoin the oceans also stopped helping to keep the temperature up. Eventually, a massive storm formed that ran for more than 300 years. We worried about the weathering this would cause, but then again, it was a minor insult on top of being baked for hundreds of millions of years. The artifact at Ada's L5 gave up no secrets at all. We nudged one of Ada's tiny asteroidal outer moons out of its orbit and brought it over to give us a base of operation and a source of raw materials. It orbited the artifact beyond the edge of its enormous grid work. We sent in robots and probes of every description. Without doing more damage ourselves, we collected samples, broken off bits of the grid work, and settled onto the central mass where we could pick them up. We could not figure out how it had been manufactured. The Borden finally asked us to assemble a scanning tunneling microscope, and after some scans done at their direction, they announced that it had been nano-assembled, built an atom at a time. Even the finest fibers were complex affairs with cybernetic optoelectronic circuitry embedded in them. The basic material was a diamondoid matrix that was also in a perfect, uh, almost perfect insulator and both harder and tougher than steel. But it could be coaxed into being a semiconductor or even a superconductor with appropriately well-placed contaminants. The Borden expressed astonishment that such a thing could be made. The problem with nanoassembly is that practical assemblers were not nanoscale themselves. So it takes a long time to maneuver and position all the atoms that make up your structure. And it all has to be done in conditions of extreme cold and mechanical quiet so that unstable half-completed structures don't move around while they're being formed. The Borden had, they said, successfully nano-assembled some structures on the order of a meter or two in size. But even that was a fantastically complicated task. They said that anything that could build an artifact this large in that way made their little FTL comm system look like a child's bucket of toy building blocks by comparison. Alpha's rainout ended suddenly, literally within a matter of days, and then the atmosphere was clear. It was still hot, running 300 to 350 Kelvin at the surface, but well within the operating range of normal, unhardened robotic machinery. We moved in and began doing serious geology. We quickly verified Alpha's age and estimated its recent history of geological activity and continental drift. We easily located the impact site of the asteroid that the Borden had lobbed at it. Part of the crater had been subducted, but the impactor had been easily 100 kilometers across, and the collision had left shatter marks all over the planet. Opposite the impact site, the crust had been thrown skyward and inverted, leaving the large chunks of heavy mantle-depth rock on the surface, and frequent earthquakes continued to occur as the smashed continental plate tried to regain its equilibrium. Our hope of finding any trace of the makers dimmed. The whole planet had been blanketed with a heavy layer of dust promising good fossils, but anything resembling the artifacts of a civilization had been well smashed and burned first. Part 4b. The idea came from the board and via their FTL network, and they claimed it came from one of our own. 
but they were not clear whether it was another bringer or an actual human who had thought of it. The idea had the kind of mad logic only biological humans seemed to be really good at. The makers had had a high technology, and even after their war with the early Borden, they had to be aware their enemy was out there in space. And if there were Borden in space, then it was reasonable that at one time there had been makers, or at the very least maker robots simpler than the Borden, to establish spacefaring technology. This was a society that would be interested and capable of looking to the sky to see what was going on. They would have seen the asteroid coming. Very likely they would have seen it even without high technology. Enormous motors must have been involved that would have left plasma or ejector trails like the biggest comets. So they would have seen the maneuvering and they would have had a few years to contemplate the situation as it was set up. With their factories laid waste in the war, they may have watched helplessly as the board and wrote their doom in their sky, but they would not have been taken by surprise. They were smart people capable of getting into space and building the early Borden. They had time to build caches. Working back in time, we asked, what did Alpha look like 200 million years ago? Knowing, as the makers would probably have known at least two years in advance, where the rock was going to hit, where was the safest place for records you hope someone like us will one day find? You must consider the world's innate geological processes, as well as the immediate insult of the impactor. When all of the factors were considered, there were only a few obvious good spots that were likely to survive the impact and the weather and a lot of subsequent geology. We concentrated on those areas. There was one mountain range that was still tall, though it had been much higher in the day of the makers. It was riddled with a labyrinth of caves formed by water flowing through them when they had been at sea level. They seemed promising, but we found nothing of the makers. If the caves had been used, they were still too open to the environment to preserve the evidence. Elsewhere, a continental mass lay in the sweet spot where the crust would least be roiled by the impact. For three billion years, these rocks had neither been uplifted nor subducted. A solid shield of granite floated serenely amid the continental jostling, its edges getting chipped and reformed, but its middle staying wholesomely intact. In the center of this continent, orbital surveys had revealed a magnetic anomaly. When we brainstormed methods by which the makers might have marked their cache for the geological ages, this bit of magnetism in the center of a stable and otherwise remarkably non-magnetic sheet of granite came up. Ground surveys revealed that metallic steel bars had been preserved with plastic protectants and laid out along the lines of a cross more than 50 kilometers across, buried in trenches 30 meters deep, which had been backfilled with hematite mined more than a thousand kilometers away. At the center of the magnetic cross was a vertical shaft which had been cut down into the living rock of the continental plate. It had been backfilled with calcium minerals which had over the aeons fused into a solid mass sealing the shaft, but also much softer than the surrounding rock and therefore a straightforward matter to remove. When we cleared the shaft, we found a granite plug at the bottom and beyond this a small room which we entered first only with an endoscopic camera. It would be fair to say that when we received the first images of this little room, we were shocked. The room was lined with images and contained a mechanism in a body. The mechanism would turn out to be the most important thing, but at first we hardly noticed it. The body had apparently mummified, and we would later learn it had actually petrified. It revealed no mysteries of alien physiology, for it was human. The pictures on the walls appeared to have been fused into the porcelain with cobalt, a suitably durable medium for the purpose at hand. One of these clearly showed a small group of figures. They were line drawings, but they were also unmistakably human. As we were trying to figure out how humans had come to this distant world 200 million years before our arrival, another wall picture gave a suggestion. It showed an object with a dodecahedral core and a large circular collector array. 
An oncoming stream was somehow being focused toward a receiver at the end of the perpendicular spar where the artist had placed a rocket engine. And the whole affair was from the background flying through intergalactic space. In part two, the makers of the Borden. Oh, fuck, wait, I'm muted. Wait. Fuck. I, I forgot I was muted. <laughs> Dude. Dude, I was I was trying to figure out where the fuck you were going with it at, at the, like, the last couple minutes. I was like, what's this? The calcium? I was like, what? Dude. All comes into focus. Fuck yes, it's <laughs> it's the it's the dun 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 dun. This is just like oh shit. Yeah. Revelation one has the largest mass of pre unexplained setup too compared to the others. The others get to their point quite a bit quicker. Yeah. I'm sold. I'm sold. Four to go. Four to go. That was beautiful. I okay. Okay, you got my mind turning. It reminds me of uh. It reminds me of um. What's it called? The uh, Project Eighty Two Hundred, where the CIA remote viewers said, uh, or Joseph McMonagall, who I'm trying to get in touch with, said that they remote viewed like four subterranean points across the world and they come together to actually form one big like satellite dish and they're in touch with <laughs> something in geosynchronous orbit but if you map it out it actually looks like a satellite dish with like the pointy thing at the end and it's like whether or not this guy's full of shit I have no idea but it's like it's like humans aren't the main story going on on earth we're kind of yeah. just this like surface bacteria but the earth actually serves something else we're just we're kind of here yeah well there's 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 some more rabbits waiting to be pulled out of hats too which is as far as what the uh galaxy ship is doing out there in the outer solar system and Fuck uh yeah. how it got there and where it Fuck came yeah. from that'd be like what happened to the makers <laughs> that'd be like if some like mice were in like a nuclear bunker and they had like a whole life and civilization there. And they slowly figured out that like the nuclear bunker served something greater. It was part of a larger civilization at war by much more intelligent beings with unimaginable weapons. They'd start to realize like, oh shit, mm-hmm. our little like the little mice mouse colony here were, were we were an accident, right? Right? Like someone didn't seal the the mouse cage or something. It was like <laughs> Oh shit! We're not even. It's not that we're lower on the totem pole. We're not even part of the story. Yeah, it's like we're not even part of the totem pole. <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. We're not even part of the totem pole. You're just like a shaving of wood on the side that someone forgot to sweep away. Like that's it's like. Yeah, I kind of get that vibe from it. Like humans are just like, if something really wanted Earth, it would come over and kind of like brush it off, and it'd be like, get this. They're like Windex. They'd be like, get all these bacteria off of it. We'd be like, no, yeah. we're America. They'd be like, uh, what? Go away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it does go in that direction. Uh, Fuck yeah. Toward toward the third and fourth parts, particularly. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. 
Well, actually, Roger, that's perfect timing. I can hear my dad. The garage is opening beneath my feet. And I know my dad just got home. So I'm probably going to go have dinner with him. But um, not to boot you off quickly. Um, well, we were on for three hours a couple of days ago. That is true. We were on for three and a half hours. That was, dude, that was... That one went for a long time. I was laughing so hard at the end of that. Did you see that? <laughs> no, my, my dad watched it uh, this morning, and he made a point of saying, it seemed like y'all were having a lot of fun. Dude, It's I, 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 I texted one of my friends. that She was like, how did it go? And I was like, that's actually one of the most fun podcasts I've done in a while. That Every once in a while, I have one of those where I'm like, oh, yeah, that's why I started doing this, was just to laugh yeah. with people. It truly was. Like, I'd set out to do this podcast in the most idyllic way. I was like, I just want to laugh. Like, I actually just want to laugh. And sometimes I forget that. But then we go on just laughing our dicks off. Did you see that? And I'm like, oh, yeah. That's why I do this thing. So, yeah, that was a fucking hoot. But um, let's do um, – I'll text you. Let's set up uh, Saturday. Sure. Yeah, let's do Saturday. Um we can do a reading and then we can actually do an episode after. Um, but um, as of now, yeah. again, I don't mean to boot you off, but I'm going to go with my dad. So happy birthday, Roger. Hey. Thank well, you thank very you. much for the reading. And um, part two on Saturday. Or is it technically part two? It's actually Revelation 2. Okay. So, so it's like you've got you've got the episodes, and I, I actually did call them parts in the titles, but yeah. really they're sets distinct from the parts that are within the story. Okay, yeah, I was confused, so, yeah. Yeah, it's, I, I have to try and remember not to call it, you know, part, you know, the episodes, oh, part this and that. Who cares? It's, Who cares? Yeah. Do whatever um, you want. So it's 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 the episodes of Revelation one through five. Okay. About the within them there are as you could hear the, part, that one had part multiple a, yeah, parts. A one, a two, uh, three. Yeah. Now a couple of the uh, episodes will be a part. Okay. Uh, but there are seven parts, and the final part is going to be part one. Okay. Well, it's <laughs> a lot like them with the Robo Shades. We've got time. Yes. <laughs> there, there's. It's like what Dale said to me. He was like, "Hey, man, going through my history of like a Delta Force operator, he's like, this might be like 20 episodes. Right now, we're on. We do one episode a week. Right now, we're on volume five. I was like, Dale, fucking, I don't care. Yeah, like, I have no. I don't uh, care at all. Of course, this is one of the ones that I, I played the most with enormous time scales colliding with the perspective of individual humans and all and. It was one of the hardest for me to make myself believe in the the juxtaposition in a few places, but eh, I was I was kind of having fun putting the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle together to to make it all work. I do um, lo- I do love the imagery though of or just the, really it's the idea of just like time. It's just like we've got this like sandbox. There's no fiscal year. For, it's just like take a couple thousand years. It's like yeah, I don't know why there's something yeah. so. I don't know. I feel like that's one yeah. thing I've just always thought was like, I don't even really care about getting riches in my life. Like I've always just wanted to have like time to play. Like I love long term. Like when I play Hitman, I love taking four hours to go through one level and just yeah time. Well, and there's a, there's a contrast that's already been drawn between the bringers and the board. And even though we didn't know they called themselves the Borden at the end of Mortal Passage, one of the things that that uh, Borden robot tells 
the human bringer is that uh, they figured out that they were mortal hmm. and that they had that they could only live a certain amount of time because they never forget anything and eventually yeah, yeah. it becomes impossible for them to collate all their memories but uh, humans and the machines do forget and that makes it possible to have space for new memories to be formed mm -hmm. and for only the most important stuff to be archived mm -hmm. and so the Borden found this uh, both terrifying and amazing and of course for us it's like you know my dad said that really resonated with him because you know you reach a certain age and it's like how much of your life do you even remember anymore that's, uh, a, that's a head fuck yeah um, but yeah the Borden don't have that problem but on the other hand they can only live about 5,000 years and then poof they you know they, they have to die yeah. and uh, you know of course we look at that and go oh, they get to live 5,000 years but then the, the machine bringers are like millions of years old now yeah. it makes me so. think of like you got like like I screen record and it screen records in 4K because it's the screen is 4K, but it's obviously not a 4K image. So the first yeah. thing I do is I compress every as soon as I'm finished screen recording, like you know, I end the podcast, I sign off Zoom, and then I start compressing, and I compress it just down to 1080, and that takes like however long, and then you take that, you run it through iMovie, and that kind of cleans up, it cleans up the audio, and then that's the one I upload. That being said, every final file is exactly 25% the size of the original screen record. Mm -hmm. And I tried keeping the original screen recordings like the first time I started like recording podcasts because I was like, oh, I'll just keep the big file. I just don't want to delete anything. And very quickly, I, was, I realized I was putting away about a terabyte a week. And I was like, this is spiraling out of control very yeah. quickly. And there, and there really isn't much there's no, reason because neither of our cameras is 4K. 4K. It, it, there's nothing. So, I mean, technically, maybe it's getting like the the Safari icon on the bottom of the screen <laughs> and it's keeping that in high res. But it's so but the point of me saying all that is, is so I actually you could say that I, I delete actually 75 percent of all the information because it's just excessive. I don't need it. Even now, with 354 episodes, I'm still sitting at, even with 75% cleared away, I'm still sitting at like five terabytes total of episodes. So, I mean, it should be around 20. But I say that to say is the channel Linus Tech Tips. And I kind of poke fun at it because he uses like clickbait titles. But the dude has like 12 million subscribers and he actually does put out a, a bunch of great tips for retards like me that don't know anything about it. It's actually a very entertaining channel. It's... um. But apparently he never, he doesn't let anyone delete. So when they film an episode, no, no one's allowed to delete anything. But they film everything <laughs> in like 8K HDR. So they have There's this, no point, man. <laughs> it's, it's just almost, be, I don't know, man. At this point, I think he's bringing in like two, three million a year in profit. And it's just like, this is his shtick, I guess. It's because you can, yeah. I don't know. But it's, it's funny because you can go back and they always have to build. They build their hard drives to keep, I think they call it like the vault or something to keep all Linus Tech Tip videos on and you can go back years where he's like building new ones in single enclosures and the most recent one he built was a 1.2 petabyte single enclosure uh, yeah it's probably uh, Raid Array yeah 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 and it was to the point where it's actually now he's sponsored he gets these so like Seagate will actually send him everything for free <laughs> so I mean they'll send him you know they'll send him like 600 hard drives at 16 terabytes each just for free which is an insane amount of money yeah. 
show our customers how to use these. Exactly. So, well, that's have where, some hard drives. Yeah. But you can go back and you can find the first like vault they made, and it was like a hundred terabytes, which is the size of like the thing I've put together. And then it's like two hundred, but now he's at one point two petabytes. But it kind of makes me think of yeah, it's like they don't delete anything, and it's like they have to keep going, and it's. I yeah. seem to recall us having a discussion about not deleting anything ever yeah. once, not too long ago. Yeah, yeah, big data, the big data episode, but yeah, for something like this where the information truly is worthless, it's except it's four K recordings of a ten eighty image. It's, yeah, so, so you've got a bunch of little squares. Yeah. Although yeah. actually, what you have is a bunch of little noise blurs because most likely your uh, your machine has a feature called uh, sharpness enabled. And one of the things I found out, since I used a 4K television set, and of course most of the content you put on a TV set isn't 4K, mm-hmm. so all TV sets have this sharpness thing, which is actually a blurring feature that is designed to make sure you're not looking at a bunch of little square pixels when you're looking at less than 4K content. Mm-hmm. Well, if you actually want the 4K image at full fidelity, you've got to be able to turn that off. Mm-hmm. And not, you know, and, and some 4K TV sets don't let you. They don't have a way to turn that off. So that's the thing. A lot of 4K systems uh, have these filters in them to bridge, you know, to, to make it less obvious that you're wasting all of that memory, recording a bunch of little squares instead of single pixels. Yeah, um, that's what, yeah. I found with this, if I, if, if I screen record, uh, if, I, if for whatever reason I just, screen record and there's not a lot of moving things on the screen like the, it, it's it's weird it's like when sometimes zoom sets up differently to where like half the screen is just kind of like gray those files are actually much smaller because it's only recording like the moving I don't know how to, how to make sense of it I'm too stupid to explain it but it's, yeah no it's actually doing uh, the, the video compression yeah that's what it is it's like this is all black so it doesn't yeah. need to be an image, right? So, and, and the simplest, the simplest form of uh, a video codec, the AVI files, the, the simplest form of them is basically a series of JPEG in, in, images that are independent of one another. But then you get to the more aggressive compression formats that they use, like in cable TV nowadays, and and all. And they actually make an, an effort to see which parts of the image haven't changed mm-hmm. and not to retransmit them. Yeah, I think that's so, what. It, yeah, I think that's what it's doing. So, but that's, you know, that, that's much more algorithmically complex, but if you're looking at an image, like, like all this stuff behind me, yeah, doesn't change. Yeah. So it doesn't need to be like refreshed. Yeah. So, uh, it's more complex to identify the parts of the image that you want to update. And also they do things like recording only the changes from, uh, within the parts that are changing from frame to frame. So you'll have like the, uh, the, the, what they call index frames that are actually complete images. And then for a certain number of frames after it'll just be the changes from the previous Mm -hmm. image make the frame and that's why if, if you ever go through with a video editor in a lot of cases you'll see uh like if you started a random part in the point in the middle of a video file it'll just be a bunch of garbage and kind of half form shit until you get to the next index frame and it'll all sort of snap yeah and and coalesce because uh, now it has all the information to reconstruct the whole frame from there on um which which seems kind of like couldn't they back it up and do but I guess it depends on the software you're using, how smart it is to. So I could I could melt my computer by just getting like a kaleidoscope 
to shine behind <laughs> me. So instead of having just black, just just have it dancing. That's how I'll melt yeah. my computer. Yeah, that would keep it busy. Yeah. On on Hitman, so Hitman doesn't delete any of the bodies once you like kill someone. Like Grand Theft Auto, if you just turn on invincibility and just like walk down the highway with a like a minigun and just start just shooting everything and blowing it all up. It'll only allow like ten or fifteen like husks of cars to kind of pile up, and then you turn away and they're gone. They'll only allow like I think maybe like ten bodies of cops or something. I mean, this is a really great game, right? But with Hitman, <laughs> Hitman doesn't—they don't delete anything. So, for instance, there's this level that's like a winery. The whole point of Hitman is to be a ghost. You leave as little footprint as possible. Like you don't use—you're not supposed to use weapons. It's all about just you know you know dressing right, up like yeah. a waiter and like killing them with you know just you, no footprint that's not how i play hitman i start the game <laughs> and i just kill everyone i kill everyone that's and that's how i make sure i get the target is i kill everyone <laughs> so for instance there's a level where you're in a winery at like a, you're in like a vineyard in italy so i just kill all everyone every bodyguard every visitor every customer it's like 300 people <laughs> I just kill everybody. It takes like an hour. The because they don't get rid of the bodies, and you can you can still go interact with everybody. You can move it around and stuff. I put I have a little like vacuum thing on the back of Physics my engine is groaning. Yeah, well, <laughs> I have this like little vacuum thing that has a digital thermometer that I used to put under the laptop during the summer, but it, it was too noisy. So now I just I. It's got like a suction cup, so I just plastered it on the back of the Xbox, just because I like to go look at the temperature and stuff sometimes, just because I'm fucking retarded and that's what entertains me. And some games run at like lower. I found like the older games, they max out at like 105, 110 degrees Fahrenheit. I found Grand Theft Auto and Ace Combat, those will get up to like 115, 120. I found Hitman 3. I found Far Cry goes to 130. Hitman 3 goes up to like 135, but I found if I go far into a level and I kill everyone <laughs> and I break every window and I blow up every car and I shoot every gas can, I found I can see going up to like 140, 142. Cause I just, and then like I'll quit the level and I'll go to a new one and it will drop down to like 110. But I've kind of, yeah. Like, I don't know what that says about me that the real entertainment I get isn't the actual game. It's, seeing how, how much hot. can you exercise the graphics unit in your computer <laughs> fucking what the hell's wrong with me <laughs> shooting civilians hey. i'm like look at the temperature go up <laughs> maybe yeah. somebody's just doing that with earth they're playing human and they're like hey look the climate's changing <laughs> yeah let's do all of these expensive hydrodynamical calculations to see what happens everybody get on social media <laughs> start putting out images hey look the temperature's rising the sea level's rising <laughs> Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Is that what we're doing? It's not the greenhouse gases. It's the Earth's computer core. It is. It's, it's, it's the computer <laughs> core. And they're really trying to break it now by giving a vaccine to everyone. <laughs> That's what they did. They, they COVID restrictions. Everyone has to stay home and get on your computer. <laughs> they're just jacking up the processing. They're like, let's see if we can break it. They're, they're overclocking the Earth. Yeah. <laughs> Well, even for a short episode, this conversation's already run its course to where we <laughs> It's where we usually end up. We always yeah. we end up we end up here that everything is a simulation or thermonuclear death. Those are about 
I think that's normally where you and I top out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, considering the main problem with the simulation is that the rules don't ultimately mean anything and there could be an off switch, then there's some congruity there. Yeah. <laughs> well, on that note, <laughs> happy birthday, Roger. And um, thanks, yeah, man, thanks for always being on here. Love having you on the podcast. I believe everybody loves having you on. We're watching you. And um, yeah, it's always a pleasure. So cheers to many more. And, and um, I'll see you Saturday. Yeah. And um, did you see that? Did you see that? You're going to be doing that for years. I'm going to be doing that for years. And then when I finally get killed by a drone, I want the person next to me to live stream it on TikTok. <laughs> Did you see that? As there's a hole in my head and my blood's coagulating around me. Well, let's wrap this bitch up, Roger. I'll text you, man. Happy birthday, buddy. <laughs>